I noticed many of you have bought my book, and I am grateful for that. I um, never liked parenting books when I was a parent. I never liked reading them. So kind of my goal was to write a parenting book that I would have liked, (laughs) um, that I would have enjoyed. And uh, I I feel good about it. And it's meaningful to me for y'all to have it in your hands, given uh, who in town is to me. So thank you. And thank you for being so prompt on your break. It's a lot to move this many people in and out. Just while the rest of you come in, uh, let's refer back to our, 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 our friend Chris Rock. Chris Rock says marriage is hard. He said marriage is so hard that Nelson Mandela got a divorce. Nelson Mandela spent 27 years in an African prison. Solitary confinement, hard labor, prison food. He finally gets let out and he goes back to his wife and he's with her for six months and he gets a divorce. It's like, oh, I can't handle this. (laughs) African prison, yeah, being married, no. Uh, So a lot of what we've said is uh, if you're married, dating, whatever, um, the place we started was if you're struggling, if you feel places, blind spots, problems, all that, welcome to the club, the struggling humans club. And I think that if you're not a member of that club, you're a member of another club that, uh, <laughs> anyway, for the rest of us, let me tell you a little about our organization, the screwed up humans club. Uh, we are very incomplete, and we often hurt each other, and we hopefully are growing. And that place of humility, that place of seeing your brokenness, just exactly like we said the gospel starts there, marriage has to begin there, seeing our need for mercy and growth. So as we said, there are two parts that we're looking at this morning, the whole issue of closeness and connection, which we just did, and the issue of mutuality or identity. Can I be me, and can you be you? Now, That's great to be me and be you, but if you're going to do that, we've got to work it out in both matter. Because if I'm me and you're you, what we're going to have is conflict. So, point one, if I am me and you are you, we're going to have conflict. And conflict's not necessarily bad, as I told you last night. Basically, conflict happens whether you're married or not. If you have a relationship with two people in it, both of whom have brains, okay? If you guys are exactly the same, then one of you is unnecessary. Billion-dollar government grants have come up with important data for us that have said that relationships are always more difficult when they have two people in them, okay? <laughs> that's, that's your tax dollars at work there, okay? But legit conflict is how two people basically make sense of not being the same person. You know, those couples who say, oh, we never fight. I'm like, that's weird, man. One of you is asleep or a pleaser or something, and that's going to come back to bite you at some point. Fighting is actually how we work out being separate people alive in the conflict. And it's part of, and once we resolve it, once we have the conflict and make sense of it, it creates more intimacy, boys and girls. So this guy comes in my office, and I've been seeing him for a while, and he comes in, and he says, I've met her. She's wonderful. We've spent every day together since we met. I think this is the one. It's true love. What do you think, Doc? 
And I said, that sounds wonderful. I think what you need is to have a fight. He's like, a fight? I don't think we'll ever fight. I said, well, then pick a fight. And he's like, why? I said, because you can't really know a person and feel intimate and connected with them until you fight them. It's like the seraph and says to Neo in The Matrix 2, how can you truly know someone until you fight them? He's right, okay? Conflict is where my real heart engages your real heart and we work this out, okay? So conflict is cool. But conflict's not the real problem area. That's not the plot twist. The problem is this. You're having a disagreement and your spouse just refuses to get it. Or they've done that thing again. You know, you walk in and they've left their clothes on the floor again. Or they're not letting you matter. You know those things that push your buttons? Norma cleans up behind me. I mean right behind me. <laughs> like I like to cook and I'm sitting there chopping an onion and I put the knife down and grab a bell pepper. When I look back, the knife is clean. It's back in the block. I'm like, where'd my knife go? I tease her that if I get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, by the time I come back, she's made up my side of the bed. I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay. So maybe you're hurt or you need them emotionally or sexually or they blow you off. Or maybe they tell you how to drive. You know, the marriage killer. Um, anyway, but instead of like, you know, engaging them or working through the problem or asking for what you need in an adult way, <laughs> um, instead of that, you get that fed up feeling and you snap or you jab or you say, you know what, I really am sick of this. Or as a woman in my office said the other day, she said, oh my gosh, you really are just like my dad. All right. Or the room just gets icy like when the Harry Potter dementors come, like, you know, you can just feel it. And your hurt turns into anger or your fear turns into anger. As we said last night, anger is often a defense against more vulnerable emotions. And so you hurt them or you attack them and they hurt you back. And what was once a conflict is now a fight. Okay, so point one, conflict, good. Point two, fight, not good. Okay, we're going to start at the basics here. And fights are what I want to focus on because as long as a conflict can stay a conflict, Two people with a problem, we can work that out. No big, okay? But once it becomes a fight, you ain't trying to work out anything anymore, Cinderella. You're just trying to win and hurt people and get your way and put them down and come out on top. And guess what? Old Mr. Problem, who started this thing in the first place, He's sitting over here all sad and lonely and nobody's even paying any attention to him anymore, which is why you're having the same fight since college, okay? So today I want to kind of deconstruct fighting and um, conflict. They are by definition these flowing, complex, nuanced, emotionally reactive things. And I want to give us some sort of frontal lobe tools for that, some left brain action, and sort of slow it down kind of like the matrix and look at this kind of from around different aspects and see if we can make sense of it. So I'm going to get real practical in this talk. We've been very heart-based and emotionally based and relationally based. I want to give you some practical steps on this one because you need to have some frontal lobes to make sense of these reactive things, all right? I literally used to write these steps down and put them in my bookshelf so that when Norman and I had a fight, I'd go get them and read them because you're going to need your frontal lobes engaged. We'll talk more about that. So the danger of being practical is it's going to be oversimplified at first, okay? This is not going to be 
raise up your spouse in the way that she should go, and when she is old, she will not depart from it, okay? But we're going to try to give you some principles, okay? And then you're going to be going, yeah, but what about so-and-so? And I want you to say that because then you're going to help me put meat on the bones later on in Q&A and all, okay? Also, remember what we said last night, and I'm going to talk about this uh, once we start Q&A. Um, I'm presuming as we talk, do this talk on conflict that both of you, again, are reasonably repentant. In other words, you're willing to say, I am open to seeing maybe how I might be in the wrong and I want to work with you to resolve this. I have another conflict talk that's about dealing with an unrepentant spouse. We're going to touch on some of that here today, dealing with an unrepentant, like we did last night about setting limits on people who are hurtful. But we're presuming in this talk that you're repentant. We'll talk more about repentant and unrepentant during Q&A because I'm going to bring it up. Um, So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about what should we do once a fight happens? How do we diffuse it? How do we get the genie back in the bottle? How do we get Humpty back together again? All right. Number two, we need to see and get perspective on what's going on in a fight. What am I needing? What are you needing? What's triggering us here? You have to understand a fight. And I'm going to talk to you about how to do that. If you don't understand a fight, it's just going to keep going and going and going like the Terminator down to its hyper metal alloy skeleton still going. Okay. So we're going to have to get some understanding. Number three, we're going to have to address the hurt we created. We'll say one of the downsides about a fight is that we're going to get hurt in it and we're going to have to do something about that or it ain't going away. And finally, we're going to have to resolve the old problem that started this in the first place. So, first rule of Fight Club is you've got to talk about Fight Club, all right? So, number one, what do we do when the fight bomb hits? When you realize things have escalated, things have gotten nasty, you're now finally saying what you really wanted to say. Step one is go to timeout, okay? You put your kids in timeout. I figure you've got some experience with this. Put yourself in timeout. What that means is somebody says, whoa, I'm too angry. I need to, I'm, I'm about to say stuff that I will regret. Or we say to our spouse, whoa, 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 that felt really hurtful. I either need to get away or let's kind of push reset. Or, hey, we're losing control here. Okay, whatever. When you feel that jolt, when you feel the anger rise, you know that feeling. When you're saying stuff like, I can't believe you, you know, like that. Or a woman in my office the other day, her husband said something, and she just was silent, but she started turning her head toward him like this, like. And I'm like, run, dude, go, go. I'm going to like, you know, it was scary, man. So slow. It's like, uh, still kind of feel it. Anyway, when you feel that jolt, when things are getting ugly, the first thing to do is to not go what comes, not do what comes naturally. Do not go with your reflexes. Okay, y'all remember this, when we first get triggered in conflict or an adversarial situation, what happens is we get triggered in that amygdala, that hypothalamus, that caveman brain, this like fight, flight, or freeze. It's a caveman brain. Your only options here for solving problems are sort of like run from T-Rex or fight him. That's kind of your level of sophistication, all right? In other words, we criticize, nag, withdraw, attack, tools of the trade with the fight, right? In order to see who wins, who's right, who's wrong, who's the good one, who's the bad one. Sound familiar? In other words, we do the same things to our spouse at that point that we do with a Coke machine, right? 
Ordinarily, you put money in a Coke machine, and what happens? Good. Okay. Yeah. See, I like to ask some questions, sort of as self-esteem builders, that I know that you can get. <laughs> uh, um, all right, but what happens if you put money in a Coke machine and nothing comes out? You start banging on it, right? So Coke machine phenomenon in your marriage is your spouse is not giving you what you want. You're like shaking the machine, like George Costanza in the Twix, you know? The, the cookie, cookie crunch. What does he say? Candy, candy coating with a cookie crunch. Anyway, and that's all fun till 1.30 in the morning. But there's some problems with a fight, problems that timeout is going to help solve. Number one, timeout is going to help stop the hurt that fights create. In a fight, we say things we don't mean, okay? When we're triggered in that little reptile brain, caveman brain, it's law of the jungle. It's kill what you eat. It's win at all costs. And that part of us is destructive and needs to be stopped, okay? That's what we're being in a fight. It's little kids. Um, This is what I wanted to illustrate last night when I didn't have my iPad, but here's an important secret of the universe. I was telling you that there are four people in every marriage. There's you and there's her, and there's little you and little her, okay? So once you get triggered in the fight, once you feel that caveman brain escalated, you say something, but she hears it, and she's coming back at you, and y'all are going back and forth, and now it's the little kids running the show. Timeout's going to help stop that, Okay? Now, originally when I drew this uh, illustration, the first time I ever did it, I drew it with circles, and all of a sudden it was a giant eighth grade boy joke. It was like, (laughs) okay, this is squares. You got me? It's squares. Okay? Anyway, there are four people in every marriage, and the five-year-olds cannot run your marriage. They got to go to timeout, all right? By the way, while we're here, let's answer the age-old question, is what your spouse says when they're angry what they really mean? You know, you're fighting your spouse, is like, well, I never wanted kids anyway. And you're like, whoa, you know. The answer is no. What they're saying is that absolute ultimate thinking that a child has. Nobody likes me, everybody hates me, guess I'll go eat worms. It's that kind of thinking. All right, so what they're saying is that, that, that um, primitive, emotionally driven child part of them is not what they really think. So we need to have the adults involved here. It's like fireworks. Do not attempt marriage without adult supervision, okay? And we need a timeout to do that. So one reason timeout's important is because people get hurt by cavemen and cave girls, and we need to stop that, okay? Second reason timeout is helpful is, let me put it this way. The goal of fighting is wrong, okay? I mean, what's your goal of fi- when you're fighting? Is to win. Now, pardon me. I don't want to be insensitive, but that's a terrible goal, right? I mean, think about it. Best case scenario, you win, which means now you're married to a loser, and the loser ain't very happy, okay? Think about how many win-lose relationships in culture work. Let's say you go to Starbucks, and they're charging $19 for a cappuccino. Win for them, lose for me, I'm not going back. Or I go to Starbucks and I start stealing those little mugs off of the shelves in the back. That's a win for me, lose for them. That's not going to work. Win-lose relationships don't work, okay? Playground principle is hitting the kid on the playground might get you the ball, but it won't get you anybody to throw it with, okay? So time out. Even if you don't know what to do good, don't 
do the bad. None of your solutions when you're fighting are good. By the way, timeout is not, I'm out of here, jerk face, timeout, okay? Nor is timeout the silent treatment. It's like, what? I'm just in timeout. <laughs> For two days. <laughs> this woman told me at a conference, she came up to me afterwards and she says, there's no way I'm using timeout. That's just going to give him time to escape. <laughs> And he's like, yeah, sure, babe, I'll take a timeout. And then, you know, like late afternoon, he's still at the 19th hole. Like, no, I think I need a little more timeout, honey. It's just, just a so you got to engage, re-engage, but stop the madness. I mean, physiologically, it takes 5 to 20 minutes for that adrenaline rush to back off and for your frontal lobes to come down. So, again, this is the fourth eye. I told you it was important, being able to slow down that reactivity and come back here. Um, this is golf, not tennis, remember? That timeout is going to buy me the time to slow down and see how the green breaks instead of just slapping it back at them, okay? What we're trying to do is a fight is going to be that primitive, vulnerable, emotional, reactive part of you, and that's going to just hurt each other. One of the biggest mistakes I see in marriages is that people stay in that, okay? Now, let me get real honest here. Um, if you're like me, you're not going to want to go to timeout. Um, why? Because it feels good to be a jerk. Tell me I'm not the only one. I mean, timeout means that I'm really wanting to make my point with my finger in her face, and I don't get to do that. Timeout means I kind of like not letting her get away with it. I kind of like letting her have it. And if I time out, I can't do that. So I'm going to go ahead and warn you, if you're anything like me, you may be out there going, wow, John, we don't know what you mean. I'm assuming not. Um, if you go to time out, let me tell you something that will happen. It will feel bad because it feels good to be mean. Being mean when we're angry literally takes some of the shame and the, and, the, and the hurt and the anger that we have inside of us and dumps it on another person. It's like I have 10 pennies worth of shame and hurt and yuck in me. And if I can shame you or tell you you're such an idiot, it dumps eight of those pennies on you. And I only have two pennies left. I feel better. That's why it feels good to be mean. That's why it's hard to forgive. As long as I can hold on to making you bad, I'm getting rid of my own pennies of badness. And once I start saying, I can't hold you accountable because I'm bad too, I have to deal with my own pennies. So temporarily, if I let you have it, you're stupid and bad, and I'm finally telling you what I think, I'm going to feel better. And if I time out, I'm going to have to hold on to that. Temporarily, I'll get rid of the pennies. Now, problem is, we all have the freaking Denver Mint inside, and it's making more pennies, okay? <laughs> So you can't ultimately get rid of the pennies. But that's some of the psychology of why feeling being mean feels good. And if I'm going to literally stop you from being mean by putting you in timeout, it's going to spank a little bit. It's going to hurt. You'll have to sit with that pain. All right? I want you to be aware of that. That's one of the reasons people don't go to timeout, because we like being mean. It feels good temporarily. Okay? So... 
We can time out ourselves. We can say, whoa, I'm triggered and I need to stop. I got all excited about, uh, I did this adolescence conference a few years back. And I've done a lot of parenting conferences, but I'd never done an adolescent conference. And I was really stuck on how to do it. And one day I figured it out. It was a Saturday morning, and I figured it out. And I came running down the stairs from my man cave slash office to tell Norma, I figured it out. I got it. I know I'm going to do the, marriage, the, 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 the adolescent conference. And she looks at me and goes, oh, good. And goes back to what she was doing. All right. Caveman brain me is like, oh, thank you for your support. <laughs> that is so, I mean, I feel like my wife just wrapped me up in her love. Okay, that's what I'm wanting to say. Now, I've like been to enough therapy where I'm like, nope, time out, man. Go back to the man cave. Just go. Okay? So I, I just stopped what I was doing in the midst of it. I had to get away from it. But one of the things that it does is it gives you a chance to get up there and start going, what is it that I need? And start just blowing up at her. What is it that you need, John? And this is real complicated what I needed was to know if she cared about my conference isn't that right instead of just assuming obviously she doesn't care so I said well let's go ask her so I went downstairs and I said can I ask you a question she said yeah I said do you care that I figured out my adolescent conference and she said oh yeah absolutely I know you've worked so hard on that so exciting I said well you look really nonplussed when I told you about it and she said oh I just got off the phone with my mother I'm like well everything's not about me Weird. <laughs> there are other factors in the universe, okay? This is news, okay? All right, secondly, you can time out your spouse. This is relevant to that unrepentant person, okay? When your spouse walks in the door and goes, what are you thinking parking like that? I want you to say, gee, I don't think I want to have a conversation that starts like that. That's like giving me a gift wrapped in barbed wire and hand grenades. I don't think I want to open it. Okay, see, I'm, let's take a time out. I don't want to engage that, okay? Now I'm timing them out. I'm saying I'm not engaging you. The victim answer is, well, I mean, I, I put the garbage there. I, thought, I parked there because I thought you wanted to get the garbage out. And then they wonder why they're treated that way. You'll be treated by a, a, an oppressive, aggressive spouse. You'll be treated as poorly as you permit, Okay? Like Norma asked me once in a conflict, she said, did you mean that to be mean? She was timing me out. I, don't, I mean, we were having a conversation, and that felt like you really kind of wanted to twist the knife. Is that what you were doing? She was setting a limit on me, a time out on me, and that is a hugely powerful way to respond to unrepentant people. Remember when we were talking about, can I be me last night? A huge dynamic in marriage is intimacy and love and kindness, and a huge dynamic in marriage is learning to be a Jedi at lovingly setting limits on each other when we're hurtful, okay? Go to my podcast and listen to the talk called difficult, Dealing with Difficult People and Dealing with People When They're Difficult, okay? It's all about setting limits on us when we're jerky, okay? Now, notice good limits are always a rule about me. We don't say, quit yelling at me. We say, I'm not going to talk to you if you're going to yell at me. We don't say, quit drinking. We say, I'm not going to talk to inebriated people. Okay, a good limit is a rule about me, right? 
That kind of limit set on an unrepentant or hurtful person or an out-of-control person helps them learn and develop that fourth eye. It helps them force them to start thinking about their emotions rather than just reacting. So few spouses who have aggressive spouses do this. I had a guy in my office while back and he says, you're not going to believe it. She just stood there and yelled at me for four hours. And I responded by just like looking at his feet. And he said, what are you doing? I'm saying, I'm making sure you had feet because I'm wondering why you sat there for four hours while she yelled at you. Just asking, okay? So setting limits. I'm not willing to talk to you if you're going to talk to me in a hurtful way. In other words, creating a timeout, a space for that protects you and it forces the relationship to grow, okay? It helps you be safe from their hurtfulness and it helps them grow in the relationship. It's a floor cleaner and a dessert topping, okay? The best shine you've ever tasted. Y'all know where that came from? Yeah, good, okay, good. This is way underused, okay? It's the only way that hurtful people grow is to encounter limits, only way. Repentant people can grow with love. Hurtful people need to have limits set on them. We'll talk more about that in a second. Um, third reason that timeout is important is it's going to give you a chance to think. In other words, we got to shut down those cavemen brains that are running things and move up here to the frontal lobes and go executive functioning people, all right? We need to be thinking, what do I need? What does she need? What I said in my man cave was, what do I need to ask Norma about the adolescent conference? I had to think to do that, okay? So living out of that emotional reactivity is going to send you down the drain pipe. We're putting time out there to let us move up here and start thinking. And I'm going to talk more in a minute about what we need to think about. But unless you get out of that caveman brain, all you're going to do is fight and go nowhere. Remember when Obi-Wan says to Luke, Luke, trust your feelings. Obi-Wan is wrong. Okay? (laughs) Trust your feelings for crying out loud. That's why he lived on Tatooine alone, because nobody could maintain a relationship with a woman thinking like that. You know, it's like... Trust your feelings. No. All right, so time out. All right, now let's use those frontal lobes. What's all that thinking going to give us? Number two, go bird's eye. What I mean by that is remember what I've told you is that all marriage problems are not linear cause and effect. All marriage problems are a dance, they're cyclical. And one of the most powerful things you can do is learn your dances. In other words, a huge way to intervene in a fight is once you've timed out to be able to back up and go, hey, wait, what are we doing here? I said this, which meant that to you, and so you did this back to me. And what's going on with that? What are we doing? We're doing it again, Sherlock. Let's stop. Okay, and I call that going bird's eye. We back up and look at our relationship. Now, most couples can't do that at first. Part of the value of marriage therapy, even if your therapist is a knucklehead, is it's helpful to have somebody who can step outside of our system and talk to us about it, all right? And ultimately what I see couples do is they start doing it themselves. Hey, wait, we're doing that thing again. That's going bird's eye. When our kids were little, Norm and I used to have what we came to call the whose day is worse war. And it kind of went like this. I would come in from work sort of assuming that I had a bad day posture with my briefcase and my coat all exhausted. And I'd stare blankly and say something like, hey... 
as if to say, wow, you should really appreciate me and how hard I've been working to provide for our family, right? Now, the problem is the source of my adoration is over there blankly slumped over the stove cooking something I probably don't like for dinner. And she responds with, hey, can you set the table? As if to imply, welcome back from your eight-hour vacation, okay? <laughs> now, I don't know about her, but I've been helping people all day. And I say, um, I'd really like just to rest a second, as if to say, how could you ask me to do anything? All you've been doing is riding around in a minivan all day, all right? And the repeat fight is, who's going to be pitiful enough to get to be appreciated as much as we want, okay? Hear the two ticks and no dog there. Also hear the win-lose. One of us is going to be appreciated more than the other. You get it? Now, what Birdseye does is it helps us back up and observe that dance instead of launching into the same fight. It's going to ask two questions. Number one, what are we doing? And number two, what am I doing? Number one, what's our dance? What are we doing? Number two, what am I doing? Why am I getting all amped up? So what do Norm and I need to do? A, we need to time out. This is going nowhere. B, can we talk about what's happening? We've done it enough. We ought to be able to talk about it. I need to be able to say, I think what's going on is I really feel like I need to know if you appreciate how hard I work. And she's going to go, me too. And we start talking about what's happening there, okay? Instead of, you know, I think we're trying to outpitiful each other. Let's just see if we can take care of each other. So bird's eye number one, what are we doing, sort of steps off the tennis court together and gets in that line judge chair and watches the game and says, wow, okay, you think I undermine you with the children, so you criticize me, which kind of really makes me angry at you, which kind of makes me then get passive aggressive and I undermine you more with the children. Hey, Sherlock, let's stop doing that, okay? Hear the key word here, we. We keep doing that. Just that word, we. Most fights are you, no you, no you. But once you start using the word we, you start getting out of that fight place. Somebody call this a conflict post-mortem. In other words, after the fight, you go, yeah, I think what was happening is I was hearing you say I was stupid, so I struck back. Well, I mean, yeah, what I heard you saying, and you go fly on the wall about that. And that's going to so hedge your bets for the next time you have this fight. Because there will be a next time. As Yoda says, there will be, there will be. <laughs> and by the way, if y'all can't get that objective together, that's your little signal to get some help. Get some third-party eyes. Get some body of Christ people. Get a therapist. People are always going, how do you know when you need to get in therapy? This is how. When you can't get objective enough to step outside your system, okay? So that's the what are we doing. Next question is what am I doing? This one's gold, baby, though you're not going to enjoy it. But you know that sense when you get in a fight and suddenly it's way bigger than it should have been, you know, where your reaction is way bigger than it should have been, where kind of two plus two is equaling seven, <laughs> okay? I want us to start asking, where's that other four coming from, okay? So after we time out, I need to be asking myself, what's going on with me, man, why is this triggering me so much? Maybe it's a way you've wounded me in the past that's not been resolved. Maybe it's a chronic way you treat me no matter how many times I ask you to stop, you still do it. Um, maybe it's developmental. 
a lot of mine, and I bet a lot of your little triggers here come from your own childhood, and your inner kid or your inner Godzilla is kind of running things. I call these legacy hurts, and they sort of sit in the background until we disagree about car insurance, and all of a sudden, boom, it turns into Hiroshima, and your spouse is like, whoa, where did that come from? You know, like Anchorman, whoa, that escalated quickly. <laughs> I killed a man with a trident. Um, anyway, okay, so Norma wrote a book long before I did, and one time she asked me to edit one of the chapters of the book. So I was an English major, I was glad to do it, and I sat down with a pen and went through it and edited it, and I think it did such a good job. And I handed it to her and I said, I edited your chapter. And she said, oh, thanks. And she threw it on the bed. And I felt this anger start to rise up in me. And she's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I need a timeout. Because I was about to let her have it. And I backed up and I started thinking, what is that? What made me so mad? She just, it was like she disregarded it. And I realized what it was. I was that little kid who wanted to do really good, and my parents go, look at you, John. You made straight A's. You're amazing. And they didn't do that enough, as much as I wish. And so there's this part of me inside that wanted her to go, oh, my gosh, look at the amazing, wonderful job you did editing my chapter. Thank you. What would I do without you? And that part of me felt really neglected, like I wasn't appreciated and celebrated enough. And I was about to take it out on her. And so I come back down and she goes, is something wrong? I said, yeah, but it has nothing to do with you. This is me and mama or daddy or somebody, but it ain't you. Okay? Go bird's eye on you. What is my issue here? When you can do that, one of the most corrupting things of marriage is those little squares I drew. They're still wanting stuff from childhood and they're hoping their marriage is going to get it. Well, marriages aren't designed to meet unresolved childhood needs. It doesn't work. It's apples and oranges. Ask me about it more later. All right, so can I go bird's eye on my own reactions? If I can't, I need other eyes. I need to go to my growth places. Thirdly, in the fight, we got to address the hurt. As we said, one of the key differences between a conflict and a fight has to do with hurt. When we fight each other, we hurt each other, and we're going to have to fix that. So what's hurt? You want to take a crack at it? What does it mean if I hurt you? It's tough, isn't it? Best I could come up with is it it surrounds something that kind of has something to do with diminishment. I make you less in some way. I wound you, cut you, ugly to you, make you less in some way. I say something cruel. I can't believe how stupid you are. You know how diminishing that is? Or you, someone's being a jerk to you at a party and I just stand there and don't do anything to advocate for you. You're going to leave the party and go, that hurt. You just stood there. So, I walk in the house and I go, man, it's like a bomb went off in this house. What have you done all day? Do you hear the diminishment? Okay. I feel less than because of what you did. Now, secret of the universe. A huge reason that people have trouble resolving fights and making them end good is not because of poor communication skills or not knowing your love language. It's because most humans do not know how to heal and resolve hurt once they've caused it. Okay? We don't know how. And that's a really big problem because until you resolve the hurt, you ain't going nowhere, boy. All right? 
Because now the issue is not the finances or the in-laws anymore. It's the hurt. You don't have one problem anymore. You have like three. You have the original problem, and now you're fighting about it, and now you're hurt. And you're not even going to be able to get back to the conflict problem thing at all until you resolve actually the hurt. Okay? We're going to have to sort of resolve the third problem first. So let me ask you, what do you need if your spouse has hurt you? What would help you? Understanding. Let's start with that, Tom. Good. I just happened to write that up here. (laughs) Weird, spooky. Hear me here. The only thing that makes hurt ever feel better, the only thing that ever fixes it, is not for me to say, I'm sorry. It's for me to communicate to you that I get it, I can try it on, I care, I hear you. The only thing that makes hurt get better is if somebody can say, oh my gosh, I can see that when I did that, that would have felt to you like so-and-so. I get it. It's the only thing that resolves hurt. And if you never resolve it, it's going to keep coming up and coming up and coming up. And they're gonna, your wife's going to be going, this is like that time on our honeymoon, you know, 38 years ago. You're going, God, you're still holding on to that? Well, yeah, because it's never been heard or seen or understood. And that will happen unless we're heard. Now, this isn't complicated. We do this all the time in everyday life. You're driving on the freeway and some idiot cuts in front of you and you go, God, what an idiot. But then you see through the the window that he kind of looks in his rearview mirror and goes like that. And all of a sudden you're okay. It's like, he knows he's an idiot. It's all right. (laughs) We're like, yeah, man, not a problem. Okay. Now, what happened there? He got it. He's like, I know I almost killed us both, and I'm kind of sorry. You know? (laughs) So, to be cheesy and psychobabble here, what we need is a rearview mirror wave in our marriages, okay? In other words, some acknowledgement that we see from our spouse's perspective that they get, that we get it, and that we care. This is where we get the psychobabble terms of validation. I see some validity to what you're doing. Now, this does not mean you're agreeing with them. You're not throwing the match. We're just trying it on. And in a minute, you're going to get a term. But it's the only way out of this box. So, um, Norma needed a new doctor several years back. And um, her doctor retired. And I said, oh, you need to see Dr. Whitney. She's my friend. We park in the same parking garage. She's super cool. She'll be a great doctor. Norma calls her office. She can't get in to see Dr. Whitney for eight months. I said, well, I'll talk to her. I see her in the doctor's parking all the time. So like two weeks goes by and I never see her. Like we're always arriving at different times for some reason. No one's like, I really need to go ahead and get in with a doctor. And so I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to take like a granola bar and a glass of orange juice. And I'm going to go early and sit there in the parking garage and stalk her. And when she comes, then I'll find her. Okay, because I want to find the doctor for you. Sweet, right? I've told you a lot of jerky stories about me, but I can be sweet sometimes. So anyway, I go sit in the parking lot, listen to the radio, and up pulls Dr. Whitney. And I get out of the car, and I'm like, ah, Dr. Whitney, weird. Just I was needing to see you, you know. Uh, Funny to run into you like this. My wife needs a doctor, blah, blah, blah. Dr. Whitney's like, not a problem. Just tell her to call the office, tell you, talk to me. Norma gets an appointment on Tuesday. It's done. All right, so Tuesday comes along. Norm and I go out to eat that night. Now we're at the restaurant, and I'm like, so did you see Dr. Whitney? She goes, oh, my gosh. Yes, she's fantastic. And she thought it was so cute about you stalking her in the parking garage. 
So I timed out <laughs> till Christmas. Um, Literally, I said, okay, I need to kind of walk to the foyer of the, up where the Mater D's counter is. I need just a little bit of break. And, and I was humiliated. I was humiliated. Like, um, I want Dr. Whitney to think I'm cool, not some creepy husband stalker trying to get his wife in to see her. I was humiliated. Anyway, I found that like, Norma's saying, no, she thought it was cute. I'm like, I don't want her to think I'm cute. I wanted her to think I'm awesome and cool, and I'm, that's so uncool. Anyway, I found that I was, um, like, avoiding Dr. Whitney. Like, when I'd see her, I'd sort of, like, wait till she went on fast. and Because I was, I don't know, I realized it was hooking me, and I was angry at Norma. And so I started going, John, what do you need? And I said, I don't think Norma really gets how this hurt me. And so I sat her down, and I said, I really need to talk to you about the Dr. Whitney thing. And I explained to her. I said, that feel like that kind of was not your story to tell, and I did this thing for you. And I feel like you kind of threw me under the bus. It felt embarrassing. And Norma got it. She said, oh my gosh. You sort of went way out on this limb for me in a way that was very vulnerable. And I just showed your vulnerability to Dr. Whitney. And that would feel terrible. And I'm like, yes. Because she got it. Now, that's great, right? But why might that be hard for her to do? Why might we resist hearing like that I don't know about you but for me seeing someone else's injury some way that I have hurt them and 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 hearing that and getting it and trying it on gets really really close to it sounding like me saying I am the bad guy Norma could very easily feel like what she's saying is oh wow yeah John I can't believe that you were a victim of my evil scheme to humiliate you in front of Dr. Whitney all right? Now face it, nobody's going to do that. The reason we resist hearing is because we're really afraid we're going to be now the bad guy. Okay? That's going to lead us back to defending and pushing back and we're back to badness, hot potato, and a blame marriage. Okay? So to avoid that tug of war of, not feeling, of her not feeling heard, we're going to have to use a very sophisticated psychological technique. We're going to take turns. In other words, most fights are about fighting to be heard. I felt so humiliated by that. Oh, you think you felt humiliated? What did you think I feel? And do you hear the tug of war? People trying to be heard. One of the things we got to do once we time out and go bird's eye is we are going to take turns. Norman and I will sometimes go, okay, 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 let's stop. Let's slow it down. Do you want to go first? I think I went first last time. All right. So after Norma has heard me about Dr. Whitney, she gets a turn. I promise you, you will get a turn. And I'll say, yeah, that's exactly it. Thank you. Now, is there anything I can give to you? Or she gets to say, do you need anything else? No? Okay, can I have a turn? So legit. If you don't know that you're going to have a turn, then you're not going to sit with me in my pain. You're going to want to talk about your pain, which is why people never resolve things. So when it gets to be Norma's turn, she gets to say something like, well, you know, I feel like you put a lot of weight on my shoulders here. Too much power about this choice I made and then kind of bash me for it. Can you own maybe some of your own shame in this? I mean, you want Dr. Whitney to think you're really cool. And I made you not look cool. I mean, is this some of your own narcissism? And I'm like, ah, good shooting. It is. 
And she said, and your own narcissism and, and, and desire for Dr. Whitney to think you're cool then put me in a bad place because I spoiled your coolness. I'm like, you are so right. That did happen. And she gets heard too. And even if it wasn't true, even if I wasn't narcissistic, which of course I'm not. I'm perfect. Um, <laughs> uh, even if it wasn't true, I would need to hear it and get it that that's how she feels or else we're never going to resolve this. We both need to be gotten. I love getting so much more than an apology. I'm sorry. It's like kissing your sister. I mean, what's the point of that? You know, I want to say, I really hurt you. That's what repentance sounds like. I'm going to get it and try it on and touch. That's godly sorrow. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Anyway, to heal the hurt, we got to be heard. And to be heard, we got to take turns. All right? The three H's. Healing, heals, hurt. All right, lastly, hopefully you've done your time out, your bird's eye, done some understanding and listening. That's the good news. The bad news is that we still hadn't solved the problem. Remember the problem that started this in the first place? Now, some fights don't have a problem to solve. Some fights are just fights because I say something jerky and it hurts you, and we got to resolve that. So if it's just a jerky thing that you've said and it's resolved, then you're done. You can go out to dinner now. But a lot of people's fights start with a problem. Here's the target. Remember we said every fight is hopeless because it's a win-lose? Well, buckaroos and buckarets, in order to solve the problem, we're going to have to find a win-win, a mutuality. You got to both matter. You can't nag your way to get your way. You can't bully your way to get your way. You can't pull the submission card, the one that says, you know, tie goes to the husband. You've got to both matter. All right? Another way to call this is matter, matter. In healthy relationships, the goal is mutuality, not winning. Now, what that means is that what your spouse wants in this conflict is going to have to matter in the solution, even if you hate it. Okay? If not, then you're back to win-lose again, and we're back to square one. What that means is whether you like it or hate it or despise it or not, they've got a matter in the solution, all right? And that's not going to always be what you want. But the day you said, I do, one of the things you were saying, I do, to is do you agree that your desires will not be the only factor in y'all's decision in your relationship? I do, all right? Now, the good news is your spouse said the same thing. So our family used to have an annual fight. Uh, of, of, of uh, Christmas card pictures of the girls. Um, you know, we'd take, you know, six or 800 pictures of them. And then, you know, they would go through them as they got older and decide which picture they wanted to use. Well, one year they could not agree on a picture. And no matter what, there was one of them who hated it. Two of them would like it, and the other one would go, no, my hair is poofy. Okay, so... <laughs> I throw that one out, you know. So ultimately, it got to the point to where we said, look, you guys are either going to have to pick a card or we're going to pick it, you know, fate worse than death. So they picked one, and it actually wasn't that good, but they all agreed on it. <laughs> and Callie, who was 17 at the time, she's now a therapist in Nashville, said, oh, I get it. So compromise is where everyone is equally unhappy. If I got my way and picked the card I want, at least one person here would be happy. I don't understand this, okay? 
All right, so that's your goal if you're fussing and fighting in marriage, is for both of you to be unhappy. My clients love this. It's like, thanks, Doc, now we're both unhappy. But seriously, win-win is, is not a solution. Win-win is a covenant. Win-win is a commitment. Okay? It's a, it's a lifestyle. It's like the, the Marines, no one left behind. The reason we fight, one of the major reasons we fight is because we're scared. I'm scared that if I don't fight to get what I want in this story, you're going to take what you, like, you want and forget me and under the bus I go and I'm not going to matter here and I'm not going to let that happen. So I'm going to make my point with my finger in your face. I'm fighting because I'm scared if I don't fight to matter, you're not going to let me matter. And one of the things I want couples to do is covenant with one another. I want to commit to a win-win with you. That somehow when we run into problems, you and I are both going to win and we're both going to lose. That we're both going to matter. And you don't have to fight me for that. I'm committed to that. Now, I don't know how to always do that. I don't know how to always solve those problems. But one of the things that's cool about marriage is at that point, once you're trying to solve a problem, you're not fighting anymore. You're trying to solve a problem now. And that's what marriages are for, to solve problems together, not fight. So y'all remember my old analogies for win, win, win. Win, win says, if you want Chinese and I want Mexican, win, lose says, well, I'm going to get my mushu pork tough for you. Lose says, well, I'm going to get Mexican. You don't get Chinese. Tough for you. Win, win says, what we know is not going to happen is I'm just going to get Mexican tough on you. Maybe we'll go get Mexican and get Chinese takeout on the way home. Or maybe we'll go to Chili's and get a Southwestern egg roll. But we're going to make us both matter here, okay? So I, had, I saw this couple uh, years back, and he had a pretty good job but wanted to quit it and go to med school. She had a pretty good job but wanted to quit it and have babies, all right? Hear the win or lose? What does his med school dreams mean to her babies? What do her baby dreams mean to his med school? And they felt it, that fear, and that made them tension, angry fussing. They went back and forth with each other. So we started talking about win-win instead of win-lose. How can you both matter in this story? I wanted to get them settled down to where it's like, you know what, I'm not going to need to be afraid that you're just going to go, fine, I'm going to med school tough. And as they started thinking about the commitment, the covenant that says, I don't know what we're going to do, but I'm not just going to take from you. That twist transformed the way they started handling problems. And that's where I want you when it comes to the problem-solving part of conflict. What they ended up doing was thinking, you know, he thought, you know, nurse prax can do great, and I don't have to go to 20 years of school, and, you know, maybe I can just do that. And she said, well, you know, also, I've got some family investments that maybe we could tweak to allow me to work a little bit less and still have babies. And they started thinking, not fighting, okay? So if I'm trying to make... Win-win sound easy, I'm, I'm doing you wrong, it's hard. But at least what we got now is a couple who's trying to solve problems together, all right? Now, regarding everything we've said, I'm going to wrap up. Um, I've seen you taking notes and I want you to do that. A lot of the enemy in our conflict or our marriage is that we're leading with those emotional parts of us and we need to be thinking and writing down these notes and keeping these notes is going to help you okay as you move from here 
I want you to take these things and I want you to, you have a structure now and a plan. I want you to take them and I want you to talk about them on date night. I don't want you just to talk about carpool. I want you to process some of these ideas together. And if one of you initiates that one night, the other one has to initiate it the other night. I want you to talk about this with your safe people, with your groups. Um, I want you to really consider the possibility of using therapists. Um, for, me, being, for me, a therapist is like having a financial advisor. You know, people think, oh, I don't think I need a therapist. Well, you know, you have to be really screwed up for that. No, it's sort of like, do you need a financial advisor? Somebody who understands the tax laws better than you. Just somebody to advise you in it. Use them as a resource. You don't need to lay on the couch. Use them as a resource. Don't be afraid of these resources to engage this stuff. I've gotten you started with some ways of thinking about your marriage as something you can actually shift and change. Take that and keep going. Keep riding that ball, okay? Um, let's do questions. First thing I want to address is a question Jimmy asked me. He was talking about the issue of repentant and unrepentant. Um, and I want you to tweak my answer if I'm not giving exactly what you want. Um, what does repentance mean? Well, there's one sense in which repentance means I am no longer going to live this way and I'm going to change and be different ongoing. Now, that's super cool if you can do that. But I have areas in my life where I continue to struggle and I don't, I'm not able to completely change. Does that mean I'm unrepentant? There's another kind of repentance I really like and that I see all the time and I think is holy. And I call it a repentance of intention. And it's sort of that Romans 7 experience of my sin. It's that sense of I do this thing and I hate it. And I wish I didn't act this way and I don't want to be this way. It's like dude said last night about, I can be aggressive and I don't want to be that way. And I said, you're close to kingdom, man, because that is a repentance of intention. So when I talk about, is your spouse repentant? What I'm meaning is, do they have that intention that says, you know what? When I really get tired and I come home from work, I yell at you. And that is not okay. And I do not want to be that way. And I'm not going to respond by going, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry is fine. But hearing them and trying on the hurt is what's really healing and you don't know what to expect when I come in the door do you and I come in and I can just bite your head off and and you don't know when it's going to happen that would feel terrible I care about that I don't want to be that way that's real repentance that says I want to not do this anymore now let's add one more layer to that basic psychological principle let's say I can't stop this anger um basic psychological principle, spiritual principle, is that, that if I have an out-of-control behavior in my life, it needs two things. It needs to be understood, what's going on with me that's triggering this anger, or this overeating, or this over-shopping, or whatever out-of-control behavior I have. And number two, I will need literal limits set on it in reality. Okay? If, if all you do is set the literal limits, you can't do this anymore or else, you're just sort of uh, cleaning the outside of the cup. If all you do is get the understanding of the inner heart, then you're just going to get a real um, insightful, nurtured, navel-gazing rageaholic. <laughs> okay? So you sort of need both. So I went through this season a few years back where I was like um, going off at Norma in anger. It's like we would have a little tiff, and um, I would watch a movie uh, in my man cave or something. And I'd come back downstairs about 10 o'clock and she'd be like in the bed reading a book. 
And I'd walk in the room and I'd be like, and another thing, you know, it's like I'd pick right where he left off and she's like terrified. So the next morning she's like, that felt terrible. I mean, you just came in, it was like, you're screaming at me. And I'm like, I know, I can't believe I did that. It was so mean. About two weeks later, I did it again. And she said, you did it again. And I said, I know, I don't want to do this. The thing I wish I'd do, I do not do. But I also know psychology. And I said, here's the deal. I do it again, I lose my man cave for a week. I'm down here watching Grey's Anatomy with you. <laughs> now that won't teach you, nothing will. <laughs> so two weeks later, I did it again. And Norma says to me, man cave? And I lost my man cave for a week. I hadn't done it since. Now, what will a woman say to that story? A woman will say, oh, so you do it for your man cave, but not for your love for your wife? That's what most women in my office will say. Yes, that's true. Now, <laughs> but let me tell you why. Remember, this part of me that's doing this stuff, he's eight years old. Oh, he's six, okay? Now, we got to be concrete with him. Telling a six-year-old, you, you know, just quit drinking, just think about your family. Or, or, John, you can't yell at your wife, that hurts her. That's like telling a six-year-old, go do your homework because just think of all the people you'll help one day as a neurosurgeon. He's like, what? You know, okay, you got to go. You're losing your Xbox, pal. And then he'll go study. So similarly, the out-of-control parts of us are like kids. So repentance involves, on the one hand, the issue of intention. Do I want to stop being this way? But then a lot of times it requires accountability to actually speak to the immature part of me that's going to say, I don't care about all your lofty concepts. And yet you need the understanding too. So those two pieces go together. Now, another key piece you keep hearing me allude to a lot this weekend is that an unrepentant jerky spouse, and all of us are unrepentant about something, right? But you have, I see dynamics in marriages all the time of more of an oppressor spouse and an oppressed spouse. Ooh, I could never say that to her. She would get really mad. And you got one spouse kind of living under the threat of anger or something from that other spouse. In other words, that spouse is not repentant. The only way to make them repentant is for their spouse to develop the mojo, the kung fu skills to set limits on them. Basically, when God first meets somebody, his question about them, his first question is, are you repentant or are you unrepentant? Because what repentant people need is love and grace and tenderness and warmth and restoration and patience and all those goodies. What do unrepentant people need? To become repentant people, all right? And they do that usually by having to face the consequences of what their destructive behavior costs them. When God loves somebody, he hammers them with the consequences and events that they are creating. What does he do with people he doesn't care about? nothing. The worst judgment in the world. Now hopefully if you're an unrepentant person and people and God love you, you're going to get unhappy. They're going to work to make you miserable until you get humble and then you can be repentant and then you can join the party. Get it? So getting repentant is a process that we need to be involved in with each other. That's why I appreciate it when Norma called me out and said, man cave, or when she said, you're being... Um, did you mean that to be ugly? You know, I, I need that in my unrepentant parts. Is that addressing what you're asking for, Jimmy? Yes, sir. All right, anything else about that? All right, y'all. 
And I got some good questions on the um, text. If I don't get to them today, I'll try to get to them tomorrow. This is what we're going to do at Sunday school. As I said, we're just going to free for all.